0: Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Robin Campbell of UB40. That's right, the legendary UB40. And you are in for a treat because Robin is an absolute delight. What I should say is if you were tune your ears in, we had an absolute nightmare about half hour in. Um, the internet just died, and I was in the middle of asking a question um, about confidence. So there, there's there's a heads up to know where you might might hear the little seam, because uh, everything froze, and we had to log out and log back in again and, and pick up the conversation. And, and huge love to Robin. It was no bother for him, and uh, and and we got the conversation back on track straight away. And it's a real lovely natter this one I can't wait for you to uh, to hear it and it's coming up very very soon but as you know with any podcast you have to do the thank yous and the and the uh, the other bit about you know back catalogue and stuff so I'm going to jump into that now Um, what I should say is a big thank you to all of the listeners Uh, and that's you you listening right now because Off the Beaten Track has been going a few years now not that long only, only what three years and we're nearly at 500 episodes so I've really tried to stay consistent with putting out two episodes each week, which is quite a lot. Um and, and to sort of stay on top of that um is is a lot of a, a bit of graft, really. And again, sourcing the guests and 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 all of that and the production and stuff, we'll get on to that. But um it's worth it because the the listenership's consistently grown. And I get so many like lovely little messages every once in a while from people that have just discovered it, or people that have, you know, been long time listeners, and and it makes it all worth it. So, so huge thanks for people that have have been on board from the beginning, and and those that have, have joined and then gone back and listened to, you know, older episodes, and 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 welcome if it's your first first episode today. If it is your first episode today, as I said, you've missed loads and. Uh, I should say, once you get to the end of today's chat with Robin, why don't you go and explore that back catalogue? Because, well, I've had a, I've had a real bumper ride of great guests over the years. Um, you can hear me talk, if you like your reggae, you can hear me talking to Julia Marley. That was an amazing chat. Got to sit and uh, in a room and, and interview a Marley, <clears throat> which was, you know, quite a moment. Um, if you like hip-hop, then I've been really blessed to have sat in a room with um with chuck d from public enemy and had a, had a wonderful conversation with him um super producers like butch vig and fat boy slim um all like huge indie bands like the killers and the kaiser chiefs and rock royalty like the foo fighters and motley crew i love chatting to actors um i've been really sort of spoiled with the the shane meadows gang and uh I've had some wonderful chats with Thomas Turgoose, Joe Hartley, um, one of my favourite actors of all time, Maxine Peake. Um, go and go and get stuck in um, to that back catalogue when you get to the end of Robin's episode because um, there's plenty there, and it's all to be enjoyed for free. So, what's the payoff? Right. So the payoff is this is how you can help. This is how you can put a bit back. <clears throat> Head over to Instagram or Facebook, or Twitter, preferably Instagram, that's where we're kind of most active, and uh, and, and just give us a little follow, and a like, um, or if you're on Twitter or Facebook, a little retweet, or a share, um, and subscribe to the podcast, if you listen to it on Apple Podcasts, or uh, Spotify or Acast or Podbean, wherever you listen, just give us a little subscribe or a follow and then you don't have to worry about anything then. Each each time an episode drops, it just pops up on your device and you can listen and not worry about missing any of them. Um, the other way that you can support the podcast and get even more um, stuff, nearly said the word content, I'm not massive on the word content, um, is to become a Patreon. So this is the begging bit. So Patreon, um, you've probably heard other podcasts that talk about it. If you've listened to this before, you're probably sick of hearing me talk about it. But it's a, a a way to support creatives, and it's like another sort of social media feed, really. But it's a more kind of intimate kind of setup, really. So basically, if you like the podcast, then then go over to Patreon. That's p a t r e o n dot com. Forward slash off the beaten track. The, the 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 address will be in the show notes to this, so you can just click the link there. Um, so don't worry about remembering that. Um, and then what you do is you go over there um, and you click it, and it's there's a little video you can watch for free, which is um, from a few years ago now, and, and I'm sitting there telling you what what you can get, and you can watch that for free. <clears throat> but let me tell you what you get. So it, what I should say first is it costs a dollar a month. Now. A lot of Patreon accounts for other artists and stuff kind of have different tiers and things like that. They're they're, they're there, but essentially, you get everything for for a dollar seventy p, because we live in in tough times, right? And and I don't expect people to be able to afford that. But if they can, if you can spare that that dollar that seventy pence, then let me tell you what you're going to get. You get to watch all the episodes. So um, I upload all the videos. Um, So if you like to watch your podcasts, then you can um, go and watch them, put up to a week. And then obviously what you do also get is access to the back catalogue. So there's hundreds and hundreds of videos to watch. I also put up little mixtapes, so you can go over there and and radio shows. And the archive's got hundreds of radio shows of me just sitting in a little studio, playing records, chatting away. And, uh, And they're all there to be enjoyed as well. But one thing that I really get excited about is a monthly live show and it's done over zoom and and if you're a patron you, you can get to come along to that i think if you have a little look in the back catalogue of this um podcast on spotify or wherever you get it you can maybe listen to one of. i'll put one out and it's a really lovely little gang and uh and I should say as well, if you're uncomfortable in 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 things like that, you can turn up and have your camera off and your mic off and just listening or watching. But if you want to get stuck in, <clears throat> it's your opportunity to to guest on the podcast. So we pick a a question from the podcast. So we might say, "What was the song that reminded you of your time at school?" And all the guests turn up and 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 we all chat, and it's really nice. It's not a it's not an annoying kind of, um, I'm going to try and be cooler than cool and pick obscure records. It's really fun, uh, totally not judgy in the slightest. And and it's just, honestly, come along to one because you'll have so much fun. It's so, it's one of the highlights of my month. There's so many nice people that come along and I've got to know a load of the listeners through this. And it's it's a really lovely little hour spent where we all just... Have a chat about records and memories and stuff like that. It's lovely. A real nostalgia hit and uh, and a real kind bunch of people. So, um, yeah, you get access to that. Like I say, radio shows, back catalogue of um, video episodes and all sorts of stuff. And like I say, that's going to cost you 70 pence a month. By all means, sign up for a month, come to a live show, rinse the back catalogue and then cancel it. And uh, But I don't think you will. I think after a month you'll enjoy it. And uh, and you'll look forward to them live shows and and enjoy the extra stuff that we put out. Okay, the other thanks I want to do quickly before we get on with Robin's chat. Um, I want to thank Scroobyus Pip, um, who is the, the reason I got involved in podcasting, and and it's absolutely changed my life. From this podcast to you know a, a few other podcasts that that um, I'm, I'm also very proud of, uh, and and a big part of my my living is is my magazine Pod Bible that i run with Pip and uh, and our friend Adam. Um and Pip owns the Distraction Pieces Network and uh, and obviously is the host of the Distraction Pieces podcast which is a pioneering you know podcast from the UK that absolutely bossed it. Um when you know and and, and set you know set a real precedent for, for for other podcasters to 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 work towards. You know, Pip's a huge you know inspiration and influence on on why I do, and uh, and also I should say to well, one of the nicest people you're ever going to meet. Go, he's been on this podcast a fair few times now, and I guarantee he, the very first ever guest as well. So if you want to hear a very nervous me, go and listen to the very first episode where I chat to Pip. But um, but huge love to Pip uh, and everybody on the the Distraction Pieces Network. Go go check out all the other podcasts over there. There's some crackers. Um, and if you're fans of Ted Lasso, go check out um, Brett Goldstein's uh, films to be buried with because he's wonderful. Um. And I also want to thank the team at the Blue Murder Club podcast. It's a wonderful true crime podcast and the team over there produced this podcast. So um, if you like your true crime, go get your hit over on that podcast. Right. OK, that's all the pre waffle done so we can get on to the good stuff now. Please enjoy today's episode of off the beaten track podcast with the wonderful Robin Campbell. It's off the beaten track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network, with me, Stu whipping. Okay, we are recording. Robin, how are you today, mate? I'm
1: good. How are you?
0: Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. Where are you? That's a, I presume that's a studio, by the looks of things.
1: Yeah. I'm in uh, Somerville Studios in city centre of Birmingham. Lovely. We're, we're working on our current album. Wonderful, wonderful.
0: Before before we get into the tracks, and and uh, I'm, I'm interested to know how you found the whole uh, as as a as a musician and as an artist and as a creator, how you found the sort of two year hiatus of lockdown. How you found that? Like, I mean, to, tell us a little bit about how you found it creatively and personally.
1: Well, I think originally um, we all were quite enjoying it, you know, because yeah. it was. We're a hard-working band. We're constantly on the road. And when we're not on the road, we're in a studio. Um, so we, we kind of, you know, for 40 years, we've been doing this cycle of of recording a new album and then taking it out on the road, you know, and touring the world, um, coming home and then starting again. Yeah. Uh, so lockdown originally, when it first happened, was almost like a relief, you know, because yeah. it, was, it was like a forced holiday. Yeah. And uh, we were all... Oh, this is great. You know, doing nothing's really good. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, that didn't last long because you get stir crazy, you know, and you know, you start to itch uh, and then it's, it's a forced thing. So then you start to resent it because you can't go on the road, whether you want to or not, you know, Um, but then while we were in lockdown, we started working on the album that we'd been talking about doing, which yeah. was the collaboration album. Um, and because everybody else was kind of locked down, it was easy to send them stuff because yeah. obviously now in the new digital world, you can, you can send music, you know, across, around the world, to yeah. different. And, uh, and that's what we did. We got in touch with artists that we'd been working with and met over the years, um, and just sent them backing tracks off our previous album, yeah. Uh, yeah. time, which was the, for the many album, we, we sent backing tracks to different artists and said, we sent them two or three tracks and said, pick one yeah. and, uh, yeah. and write us a song, you know, yeah. uh, demo us a song, sing, sing, do what you want, you know, uh, pick one of the tunes. And we sent those out to different people. And they all sent stuff back because, of course, it it was actually quite good because there was nobody on the road, yeah, so they course. couldn't. Say, I'd love to, but I'm on tour. They actually, yeah. Went, yeah, I'd love to because everyone was desperate to do something yeah. by that point. So we got a, a positive response from everybody we got in touch with. In yeah. fact, once we were working on the album, it was it was funny how many people got in touch and said, "Why didn't you send me a track?" You know, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um yeah and also some of the artists we sent you know three three backing tracks and said pick one mm. and write song. and they um say house of shem the new zealand reggae band we sent them we'd just been working with them in australia and new zealand and we sent them three tracks and said pick one and they wrote three songs on each track you know yeah. so uh we used all of them yeah. <laughs> on the album because they were all really good so It it was just, uh, creatively, it was actually quite good because we got so much positive response from everybody and some of them, too much response, you know, they sent us three songs and uh, we had an embarrassment of riches, you know. We ended up uh, using three tracks by House of Shem. We ended up using uh, two or three tracks by various artists, you know. So, um, yeah, it was, in the end, it was good because you send stuff and they send it back to you digitally. Yeah. It was really easy to, to do that, you know, rather than have people traveling over to your studios yeah. and well, all the it, the expenses that go with that. You can technically now, it's very easy to send stuff anywhere in the world, to have, have people work on it and then send it back to you, you know. Yeah. So um, lockdown actually turned out to be a lot of fun. I think because-
0: I, I, for I, us I, you
1: know, we were we were being creative
0: I think it's important on what you just said there insofar as um like I, I think lockdown really did enable sort of things like this where people are talking via zoom which was a, unheard of before lockdown and like you say that yep. sort of file sharing of you know you know as, as an artist logistically to to get an artist from New Zealand into the studio in the UK or you to go to the New Zealand, it's you know it's costly and it's you know it's it's Definitely. a lot of work and it's a lot of Matching of schedules and things like that, and I think that lockdown really sort of forced that out of um, a lot of creatives in, in in multiple sort of fields to think right, okay. And it's almost a little bit of that sort of punk ethos, isn't it? Of like, right, what have I got? What have I got at my disposal here? I've got a laptop and I've got some mates. Right, let's hit them up. Let's see what we can do. And and I think it's sort of, everything got stripped back, and and people rethought it. I thought it was uh, it was a, a really interesting time for
1: yeah well we 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 started uh a zoom uh on a sort of what was it bi-weekly basis i think every other week or something we were doing we were doing a live zoom where we just we just got different artists to come and talk to us you know and and it didn't matter where they were we could all be in the same room talking to each other you know and and we invited our audience yeah uh, and it was on our app, so that anyone who had our app could then listen to it live, you know, yeah. and obviously, obviously watch it back later. But you know, we, it could happen live as well. And um, and and we also interacted with the fans, where we yeah. did specials, where we we uh, we retrospect, we looked at albums, you know, previous albums. We went through each album right from the beginning and just discussed them amongst ourselves, you know. And uh, for the fans,
0: that's they- amazing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, the fans absolutely loved it, you know, um, and it just it just built and grew and grew and grew over the over the lockdown period, you know. Yeah. So that was another thing that uh, a, a way of interacting with the fans because we couldn't go on the road, we couldn't yeah. play gigs. So, uh, it was just something that we came up with that uh, I think quite a few people started doing, you yeah, know. Absolutely, that we we did it, and it it was. Uh, it was really popular. It became something that, uh, and now that we're on the road and we don't have the time to do those Zooms, yeah. fans complain all the time. We go, when are you going to do a Zoom? <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've just got used to having that access to us, Absolutely. you know, where we would draw names out of hats where they could join us on the Zoom, yeah. you know, and chat to us and ask questions and, and all that, you know, That's and uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And as you say, know, could only have happened because of covid Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Right, I'm gonna um kick off your playlist and I'm gonna ask you for track one, Robin, to tell me the track that you regard as the greatest
1: ever intro. Yeah, well that's that's an impossible question. <laughs> I mean my 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 initial reaction was that um Brian Travers, our late sax player, mm. uh I think was an intro genius. Oh, okay. He used to come up with riffs that would intro tunes. And I mean, uh, one of his most iconic is is the first single we recorded, which was Food for Thought, mm. which starts with his sax line. Yeah. And that is such an iconic sax line that they still sing it at the blues ground uh every time a goal scored. Amazing. Which isn't very often. It's not very often, but <laughs> Every time a goal is scored, they sing that sax line, you yeah. know? So it's become, it's become the Birmingham theme yeah. uh, at the Blues Ground. And, yeah, Brian came up with that line. Uh, the The piano intro to Kingston Town, he played on a wind synth, and that's become – we play one note of that intro at live gigs and the crowd goes mad because yeah. they know what's coming, you know? They recognise it instantly. Yeah, um, And – uh, on the last album uh the for the many album i was talking about uh i wrote the song the keeper and uh i, I demoed it you know and i brought it to the band and it had uh, it had you know the chords and everything on it but it didn't have any a horn line yeah and he came up with a horn line that became the intro to the to the track uh and again it's for me it just made it made the track you know yeah. and i liked it so much that i put it as the first track on the album because it's yeah. the best it's the best intro for the album you know it's such a great horn line so i think um you know he may not be the greatest of all time but yeah. he's he was pretty fantastic at doing intros you know he just had a way with him uh with intro melodies
0: and, and that's so beautiful
1: the, the tune i actually thought of yeah I was trying all the time to think of, uh, of an intro. For me, one of the standard tunes is the tune that starts, or used to start, uh, the Formula One programme yeah. on TV, you know, that bass line, uh, which is Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Um, what's it called? The Chain. Yeah. The the original, uh, that bass line, the second it started... Yeah. You knew Formula One was coming and you knew you were in a great time, you know, and it it just sets up the atmosphere and the tension of Formula One, you know, that for me was, uh, it was a a, whoever picked that for the theme music for the Formula One program was, you know.
0: Absolutely, and for for people that that grew up in the sort of seventies and eighties, you can't hear that. I and mean, this is Fleetwood Mac. It's one of the biggest bands in the world. You can't hear that without just thinking that's a song from Formula One. But I guess anybody born after the eighties is probably just thinks it is just an absolute classic Fleetwood Mac, and has no idea about the the, the, the Formula One theme tune that was obviously so so prevalent in the in the eighties. I want to go back and, and and touch on something you said about um uh, the, the, the 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 intro master really and. And I think to get that perfect intro, there's so many ways you can, you you know, that that guests come on here and talk about. Some things could be a big Pink Floyd 20-minute intro, or some people will go, the Beatles help straight away. And how you described them intros, and I think that the key to it is is to create a feeling, isn't it? And, And the minute you hear Food for Thought, it's... You know it right from the off, and it creates a feeling. And that feeling, that's not just fans getting that feeling. That's been embraced by a football team. That's been sung by crowds, generations of crowds. And that comes from a feeling. And and the yeah. same, like you say, with Kingston Town, that one note, that's all it yeah. takes. That could be the opening bar of Hard Days Night. People know it instantly, and that's that's a feeling. And I think that is. And I've asked this question nearly five hundred episodes of this podcast. And I think you just saying that has kind of answered it for me, really, that it is about creating that feeling, isn't it? And and he smashed it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. He was he was the master at it. Um and I you know, I don't know how you do it. I don't know what the secret is, but he just kept doing it. Yeah. And, you know, he he just had a way of listening to whatever the track was that we'd be, that we been working on, whatever it was, he would find a way of encapsulating or summing up the mood of that track. Yeah. Yeah. And he would come up with a line and it didn't always sound like the perfect line to me yeah. because I'd, I'd write a song and I'd have a melody or whatever. And I'd, I'd, I'd bring it to the band and then Brian would come up with a saxon. And I'd think because it wasn't the one in my head. Yeah. It was wrong, you know, or it didn't quite do it, you know. But then, in a very short time, I couldn't imagine the tune without it. Yeah, because he was so good at it, you know. It, yeah. it would just—it would just sum up the whole mood of the track. Yeah, always, and it always worked. Yeah. I mean, I can't—I can—I can think of very few occasions when I thought that you know his horn line was wrong for the track. Yeah.
0: And and you know, full well, was you know the 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 longevity that you've had in the music industry and and the bands that you've seen come and go and such. That's not easy to do. That that is a real art, isn't it? To be able to do that and then to do it again and again and again. That's not easy, is it?
1: No. Well, you know, if it was, then every band would would be around for forty odd years. You yeah. know, but of course, that's not what happens. Um, and I. I don't think anybody knows how you do it yeah. or what the answer is. Otherwise you'd bottle it and sell it, wouldn't yeah. you? You, know? Absolutely. But, uh, you just, you know, every, every great band is a sum of its parts, you know, yeah. and, uh, or, or greater than the sum of its parts even. Um, and what you don't do is try and work out how it works or, or yeah. why it works, or you just do what you do. Yeah. And, have faith in what you do and what you love you know uh, and do what you do and, and just hope that uh, that y- your audience comes along with it you know yeah. and thankfully for us it's worked yeah
0: i'm going to take you back for track 2 robin I'm- hey i'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot that had an emotional impact on you, please?
1: Right. Well, again, that's uh, almost impossible because I get very emotional about tunes, about songs, lyrics and melodies move me uh, very easily. I'm a big softy when it comes to music. It's a massive part of my life, you know, and always has been. Um, And to be honest, I've been surrounded by music all of my life from from being a toddler i can remember sitting at my dad's feet and listening to him sing yeah. um because he was a professional musician he was a he was a folk musician and um they used to rehearse in our front room yeah. you know so the band would would set up in our front room and we would as children we would sit and listen to the music you know listen to them playing and singing and um i think from a very early age Uh, music, melody, lyrics, and harmony have always just moved me, you know, always got me. Um, I've always loved harmony. Um, I've always sung harmony naturally rather than trying to sing the lead. I've always tried to sing harmonies right from when I was a little kid. Um, And, yeah, one of the songs I remember um blowing me away as a child was hearing my father sing a song called the unquiet grave yeah which is <clears throat> excuse me it's a very traditional song um and it lots of people have recorded it lots of people uh sing it on the folk scene on the folk circuit it's um a traditional song that's uh, it depends who you hear singing it from some it, it changes it's it, it uh, it morphs into different songs, even though it's the same root but, but women can sing it as a woman's song, men sing it as a man's song. Uh, it's about a grieving lover uh, sitting on the grave of the departed lover, yeah. um, just begging for a kiss. You know, if I could just have one kiss, I'd be happy kind yeah. of thing. And... Um, uh, the dubliners irish group um luke kelly used to sing it who was a, a great friend of my father's um and that may be where he got the song from i don't know or maybe luke got it from my dad i really don't know but um he used to he used to sing the song and it's the uh, the voice comes back from the grave saying you know um my, what is it? my lips are cold as clay, my love. My my breath is earthly strong. If you were to have one short kiss, your time would not be long. Yeah, and that, to me, just yeah. you know, That is a massive song. Yeah. It's um, and it gets me every time I hear it. Yeah. In fact, your question when you asked it, um, it reminded me when I was trying to think back. You know, and that was yeah. one of the early songs that that really got me as a child. And uh I went back and listened to it. Um I listened, because my father recorded it in the sixties and um it got me again. You know? yeah. <laughs> so you got me all emotional. Sorry, the other mate. Day. Sorry, mate. <laughs> um I mean listening to my late father singing <laughs> singing the blues. That's beautiful, mate. Powerful.
0: Um the the fact that you grew up in such a musical house, was it kind of you know, did did your father encourage you to play Music, or was it something that, that there was just instruments around the house, and you found them on your, you know, uh, uh, when when felt right, or, or was there a, a bit of both? How, how, did, how did sort of music sort of find its way into you picking up instruments?
1: Well, both for sure. We were surrounded by music. We heard music of all kinds. My father ran um, a folk club when I was a kid. He had um, he had the most successful folk club in Europe at the time in the 60s um so we met many different artists singers um because he had guests artists every week you know and sometimes they would come and stay at our house afterwards so we you know we might hear them singing us a song in the evening or in the morning or you know uh, we were literally surrounded by music and if you ever showed any interest in an instrument you'd find it thrust into your hands yeah. immediately You know, I think my dad was desperate for us all to become um, keen musicians. Yeah. Um, And I think he probably had dreams of his four boys all growing up and becoming part of his group, you know, Um, which didn't happen, even though uh, two of us, two of the brothers have sung with my father over the years. But, uh, yeah, he was, uh, I started uh, showing interest in guitar when I was about, I don't know, 10, I think, um, maybe younger. And all of a sudden my dad had my uncle come round showing me how to play guitar, you know, and I was getting guitar lessons. Um, so yeah, I, I learned guitar chords from a very early age. We all had uh, piano lessons as children, uh, limited, of course, because we we dodged them all the time, but uh yeah we um if we showed any interest at all we were massively encouraged yeah. it was it was a situation everybody else would think of being a musician as as a mad career as a you know as a crazy career whereas we grew up thinking of it as a normal career yeah of course yeah it, it wasn't something unusual so um you know us as as brothers we we sang together we played together right from when we were kids so to form a band, the it was not unusual. The odd thing was that we wanted to play reggae, yeah, uh, which my dad was deeply disappointed about. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, I mean, he grew he grew to to love it. But yeah. uh, when when we formed the band originally, he was he was uh, yeah deeply disappointed. Is the only way I could describe it. <laughs>
0: I want to stay in the, the formative years, Robin, and, and talk about school. Can you tell me the, the, the song that reminds you of your time at school, please?
1: Oh, it, well, my my early school years, um, I was listening to English pop music, which was basically the Beatles, and all of the music around at that time, the whole Mersey sound, you know, and the 60s beat sound. Um and uh, I think that and Tamla Motown yeah. was what I remember as a schoolboy. I was listening to, to Tamla Motown uh, and that was, you know, uh, obviously I was still being uh, surrounded by folk music as well yeah. because it was part of the the fabric of my life, you know. So I heard that all the time. But when I, when I got the chance... I was listening to Tamla Motown, yeah. uh, and, and English pop, of course, because I was living in England, you know, yeah. so you're surrounded by, um, you know, the Beatles and, and the music of that time. Yeah. And I was in love with Dusty Springfield as well. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was nine or something.
0: <laughs> I uh, I saw a documentary a little while ago on Dusty, and uh, and I don't know if you know this, but obviously the big flamboyant hand gestures as she would sing, and and she said that she'd always have lyrics that she'd forget on the back of her hand. So when she was doing all of this, she was literally just reading the, the words work. to her songs off the back, which I thought was amazing. <clears throat> um, yeah. I mean, I, I just want to see, sort of touch on Motan for a moment because, as you know, as a songwriter, you, you you must have realized listening to Motan that as far as Pop music goes; it doesn't get at that point any better than what was coming out of Motan and and you know them bands that every single one of those. But when when you sent the list over and I saw Motan, I just went on another deep dive and and it's always a joy of playing like you know all of the Motan. I'm I'm talking more the early stuff before what's going on and land of confusion and yeah. things like that. And it's just perfect pop, isn't it? Every single song is just riddled with hooks and just, it's just genius, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And, and changed the face of pop music, Mm. absolutely changed pop music. It was, um, you know, the black American music before that was, was the blues, Mm. you know, and, um, and, and rock and roll, of course, uh, but then when the whole tamla thing happened that just changed everything and mm-hmm. like compl- it was a bit like the american version of stock Aitken Waterman they just invaded the charts yep. you know and it was constant mm-hmm. people like um you know obviously there was marvin gaye and stevie wonder etc later on but uh, people like uh you know the what's his name Smoky, smokey smokey oh, robbins mate you know, was, was a genius, yeah. you know. Not only was he making great records, classic records that are still fantastic now. was yeah. also writing and producing for everybody else, yeah. you know. Such a force mm. within the, the Motown house, yeah. you know. Um, but not on his own, obviously. There was, you know, Holland, Dozier, Holland, and all of oh, all oh, of the other songwriters. Oh, yeah, and, but, and that house band that they had, you know, which was just brilliant yeah. and the guitarist guy whose name escapes me, uh white guy, I can't remember his name. Anyway, it was great music. Yeah. It was it was um it had a level of as you say, pop. Yeah. It was R and B pop. Yeah. You know, it was it was just brilliant. And for me, it just ruled the airwaves. Yeah. You know, that was all I was listening to at the time uh coming from america yeah but of course i was also hearing all of the the english pop as well yeah all the english versions of american pop yeah. you know because in those days you didn't you didn't get to hear american records very mm-hmm. much you know on the radio you were hearing you weren't hearing dion warwick's um version you were hearing stiller's version yeah you know because there's anything that was a hit in america got re-recorded yeah. by an english artist and you were hearing what you thought was english pop, but but was actually a cover of an american record yeah. and uh, i didn't find that out until i was a, a good deal older yeah you know uh, till i was you know in my teens I, I had no idea that the music i was listening to was was so american you know um and then of course there's the whole the whole beatles thing which again changed the face of music and yeah. between that's why I think I was so lucky to grow up in the 60s because between the Beatles and Tamla Motown and of course you know lots of other artists and other music but, but those two things for me changed music 100%. you know the most influence most influential thing on pop music ever and what a decade you know
0: and and within that decade, Robin, like even within like sort of six or seven years, and when you think of six or seven years now, it you know you blink and them years are gone, and when you you look at, you know, from their early Beatles albums through to Revolver, through to Peppers, and you just think, all of that happened in like five or six years, like had. <laughs> Yeah, well, and you know, a and, and Marvin Gaye, yeah,
1: Gay like he's banded yeah. like after the f- <laughs> six years, exactly.
0: Same with the Beach Boys, all of that surf pop, and then they drop pet sands. And you know, you look at Marvin Gaye, then does what, what Barry Gordy thought was a load of old. shit. He puts out what's going on, becomes the biggest selling record on Motown history, and, yeah. and it all happened within that decade. That decade just everything evolved and changed and just exploded, I think, in creativity. I think a marvelous. Yeah,
1: and uh, I mean, you say Marvin, but for me, the single most genius musician that came out, I mean, and i got a lot of time for smoking, but the single most genius musician that came out of Tamla Motown was Stevie Wonder. 100%. You know, what, what he started doing in the 69, 70, you know, with yeah. uh, Where I'm Coming From and uh, Music of My Mind and Talking Book, you know, that period yeah. was just... It, mind-blowing yeah. musically for me that just changed the whole face of I mean it still informs uh, R&B now you know 100%. It's still, people still sing like Stevie Wonder yeah. you know because he started a whole the whole genre absolutely uh, to me it's, it's, yeah. he's as important as you know Mozart or Beethoven completely
0: completely I'm going to ask you to tell me the first song you ever buying from a record shop, please,
1: Robin. Again, that's impossible for me to answer. I used to buy a single every week. Yeah. From the age of about twelve, I was with my pocket money. I had a few little saty jobs and things, so I could raise. I raised money, and i I used to buy singles. So. It's impossible for me to tell you what the first single was that I bought. I really can't remember. Uh, I've still got a few hundred of them left. Um, Those that haven't been nicked off me over the years. Uh, I've still got a few of them. But I'm pretty sure that I started buying albums uh, in the late middle to late 60s. And I think that the first album I bought was either... Mr. Rocksteady, which was Ken Booth, in about 66 or seven, Or it was This Is Desmond Decker, (laughs) which was about the same time, maybe 67 or 68, something like that. Uh, And and those are definitely the two albums I remember buying. And I think one of those would have been the first album I bought. Uh, Singles-wise, I'd been buying singles for maybe four or five years yeah. before then and i honestly i had probably a few hundred singles by that point yeah. and uh i no idea what the first one was
0: it's so interesting though them two albums that you bought you know at the time was you aware how much influence that sound would have on you
1: well um it had already had that effect you yeah. know that's why I went out and bought those albums. As I say, I was buying singles before that. And um, when uh, when Rocksteady happened, which was, I think, a summer of 67, something like that, um, when, when I heard that music, because obviously I was in the area I grew up in, I was hearing Jamaican pop music anyway. It was um, Scar, uh, you know, um, which, uh, before that it was kind of a, it was do up type of stuff blue beat and ska uh in the 60s and i was hearing that and enjoying it i liked it you know um but it wasn't the most important thing but when it slowed down and the bass became so prominent etc you know uh and it became rock steady which was the forerunner of reggae um that to me changed everything that yeah just, that moved the goalposts, you know, that was the music that I just fell in love with. Yeah. And that was, um, I mean, obviously I, I didn't imagine I was going to become a, a reggae musician yeah. uh, at that point. I just knew yeah. that this music was changing my life. It was yeah. so different. It was so sexy, you know, to a, a 12 or 13 year old boy, yeah. you know, it was just the greatest thing I'd ever heard. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I loved Scar. I did love Scar, I loved Prince Poster, I loved the scatolites I loved all of that stuff, yeah. you know, but when it became sexier was yeah. when it just, as a, you know, as a 12 or 13 year old boy, it just became the most important thing in the world to me. And uh, yeah, I I just had to start buying albums, you know, mm. and, and I kind of, almost dumped other forms of music, you yeah. know. I, I still uh I mean I still idolize Stevie Wonder to this day. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, I still I still love all kinds of music, you know. Um I love Otis Redding and Al Green and, you know, all sorts of, of black American music. But when Rocksteady happened, the forerunner of Reggae, that was it for me and that was that was really became the main music yeah. that I listened to. And it wasn't just me. It was where I was. It was yeah. all my pals felt the same way. You know, we'd all turned on to this new form of music and, and it was, uh, it was, it just took over, you know, where we lived. Um, that was what we heard everywhere from youth clubs to coffee bars, to pubs, yeah. nightclubs. you know, that's what we were hearing, uh, along with everything else that you still heard, but this new music, just changed everything for me
0: and it, it it is so interesting isn't it that that you know to fast forward to 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 when you start releasing music and and at that point there's that scar influence that that reggae sound and the you know the two biggest bands doing it come from the midlands and you know did did you feel any sort of camaraderie with like the the sort of two tone movement and 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 what was going on at that time
1: well, uh, sort of musically and and definitely politically, um, we played Rock Against Racism gigs with them and stuff, you know. So and we knew them. I mean, we knew uh, we knew the specials when there were the Coventry specials, you yeah. know. Uh, so yeah, there was an affinity, and we were constantly invited to join the Two Tone thing, you know, to join yeah. to sign sign on to the label by um, uh, Dammers. Yeah. It was all always saying, why don't you just release your uh, one record? You don't have yeah. to sing, just do it one single. You'll be in the charts next week. <laughs> you know? yeah. Where, and we refused uh, because we didn't want to be part of Two-Tone. Yeah. Because we saw that as a Scar revivalist thing. Yeah. They were playing, uh, you know, those old Scar records. They were doing new versions of Prince Buster, yeah. et cetera. Um, and that's not what we were about. We saw ourselves as a reggae band and we weren't playing Scar and we didn't want to be part of that. Yeah. You know, even though we were definitely carried along on the shirt tails yeah. of the, the two-tone thing, you know, it definitely opened doors for us and made us uh, acceptable and accessible, you know. Yeah. Um, but multi-cultured we cultured did- bands as well, well
0: from the Midlands as well you know Sorry. and be, and both being multicultural bands uh from the midlands as well
1: yeah oh very much yeah that mixed race thing was yeah. very much part of it yeah because um because those towns coventry birmingham etc they were cultural melting pots yeah. you know and that's that's where that music was coming from was um the first generation of uh of black kids of jamaican heritage that were born in England yeah. you know, and growing up on Jamaican pop music. And there was this new Jamaican pop music yeah, ruling the waves, you know? And uh yeah, so, I mean, but we always kind of railed against being part of Two-Tone yeah. because we didn't want to be, we didn't want to be, you know, flavor of the month. We yeah. didn't want to be part of a fashion or part of a movement that was as we saw, it's a revivalist thing. Yeah. Even though they were tied into the punk thing as well and all of that, we just, we saw ourselves as a riggy band, yeah. you know, and we didn't want to be part of uh, Two-Tone. Yeah. And steadfastly, uh, we thanked them and no thanks, you know.
0: Tell me about, I'm going to ask you for uh, your next track now, Robin, and uh, and I'm going to uh, take your club in. And what was going on in the clubs back then? What song soundtracked your year's club in?
1: Well, again, it was, um, as I got older, we were still hearing lots of soul, lots of Motown, lots of reggae. Uh, and I used to go clubbing four nights a week, at least. when Once I was working, Yeah, uh, I used to go out to the clubs and generally went to one club called Rebecca's in Birmingham. Uh, there were a few others, but Rebecca's was my haunt, was my hangout. And I used to go four, maybe five times a week sometimes um, so that all the, the doormen knew me, yeah. you know, I was a regular and uh, I got to the point where I, I didn't pay to get in. I was just, I just became a face at the club, you know, and that's, that's where I went um, almost nightly and because I was hearing the music there, you know, and I became friends with the DJ because I was there all the time, Um and the song I remember from those days is the song he used to play every time I walked in. Uh, my friend, the DJ, every time I walked into it, he would see me and he would put on uh, the Jackson Fives Rockin' Robin.
0: <laughs> Love it. You had a signature tune.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I had a signature tune that I used to mincing he saw me whatever he was playing he would just switch it and put rocking rubbing on and uh yeah of course i loved that yeah Uh, made me feel special and uh yeah so that that song you know even though i didn't particularly love the song yeah uh, i did i did love uh you know the Jackson's version of it and it was um i mean it's, it's actually a 50s song i think the original uh kind of do-wop song. Yeah. But uh I can't remember the name of the original artist, but I loved the Jackson's version because it was my as you say, my theme tune. Love it.
0: <laughs> right, I'm gonna jump back in because uh something went a bit wrong with my internet and uh and I was in the middle of asking uh Robin a question which I'm sure he didn't hear because uh, I'd noticed that the, the screen had frozen. I just carried on chatting away. Robin, from the early days of being in a house where there was folk musicians, you know, asleep on the sofa, you know, at the weekend and things like that, through to um going to a club on your own, you know, four four nights a week and getting to know the doorman and the and the and, and, and the DJs, through to, you know, forming the band and then, you know, playing those small shows and then building it up and signing a record deal, going on to have huge global success to this day. Are you a
1: confident person? Um Confident? Well, it depends what we're talking about. I think in some fields I'm confident; in others, possibly not. I think I'm like everybody else. You know, I'm yeah. just just human. <laughs> have you got a
0: a routine? Like, I mean, is and I and I don't want to be presumptuous here, but do you, do you get nervous before you walk on stage, or have you just done it? You know, you're such a hardworking band. Is it just been you know done so often now? It's 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 not a a worry I, walking on
1: stage. I, I don't. Uh, I don't have any uh, any awareness of being nervous. Yeah. Uh, I think I must be nervous um, to a degree because I must always visit the loo before the show. <laughs> <laughs> but I think most of that is just terrified of halfway through a show wanting to go. You know. Yeah. So um, I just have to make sure that. That's not a problem, but I've never. Well, I, not say never. I don't feel nervous yeah. when we go on stage. Some of the band do. Some of the band are still really nervous, yeah. and I think it's just uh, it's a it's a personal thing, you know. Yeah. I think if I was a solo artist, it would be a different kettle of fish, you yeah. know. Um, I think it's much more difficult for a solo artist because you've got nobody to hide behind. Yeah. But when you've got a big band you know and we're we're always nine or ten people on stage you know uh when you've got a, a band that you know and love and trust um i think that makes life a lot easier yeah. you know because it's it's not just me yeah. um you know i've, I've got i've got a, a group of people that i rely on and that i that i trust to do the job you know and to have my back and uh I think I think it's much easier when you know that uh, that you're part of a team, you know, you're part of a gang. And, gang uh, gang's the
0: word. Gang yeah, gang's it, the it, word, Robin. Be because it's you look
1: at,
0: you look at some bands and you can see they're just they've been put together and things like that. And I know you know, to reference the specials again and to reference madness and other bands that come through at that time and UB 40, you all look like a gang. You all had yeah. like that. You looked at any one of them bands and it was like yeah, they're mates, they're a gang, you know, they, they walk the streets together, and and it, it, it just looked like a gang.
1: Well, it's, in our case, I've known all of them since they were 10 or 11 years old, yeah. every member of the band since they were 10 or 11 years old. Um, I'm a few years older than most of the people in the, well, than everybody in the band, um, and most of them were friends of my kid brothers yeah. that he went to school with, you know. Uh, but Norman, our percussionist, who lived around the corner from us, I've known him since he was six, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we literally have grown up together. We have walked the streets together. We've gone to school, gone to youth clubs, pubs, nightclubs. We've done everything together all of our lives. And we've we formed a band together. We took our social circle on the road, yeah. you know, yeah. even our crew members were part of our gang, you know? Yeah. The guys who didn't want to be in the band or didn't have any particular, you know, um, musical leanings, yeah. they just wanted to be with us, part of it, you know? They would come on the road as our as our crew, you know? Um, so yeah, we've always been a gang and we still have that gang mentality. It's, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. still uh, four of the original eight members yeah. in the band Four of the four of the founding members are still in the band, and we still have that attitude. We yeah. still got each other's backs, and we look after each other. And we've always, from the day we formed the band, we've always shared everything absolutely equally.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I think that's massively important, you know. Uh, and it's been massively important to uh, the longevity of the band. Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm going to ask you for track six to tell me a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please.
1: Well, again, going back to the 60s, there were many, many bands from Birmingham. There's many different bands of different styles of music um, and I've always been aware of them. And one of the songs I remember as a kid, probably, I think I might have been... This was around the time of the Beatles as well, uh, but probably I was nine when I heard this song. And again, it's a cover version of an American tune by the Tokens. I think did the original, but uh, I know and prefer the English version done by the Birmingham band, uh, the Rocking Berries. Yeah, and it was. Uh, she's in town. He's in town. Yeah. Sorry, he's in town.
0: Robin, whilst talking about um Birmingham and home uh when the zoom call uh opened up he was he was, he was chatting to one of the guys in the studio and i just heard the words hair and hands uh and and i were wigging and uh but uh i'm a am a um, music promoter and from from down in uh south. but i've put on multiple shows at the hair and hands and I just, I, I want you to tell me what your relationship is with, with that venue, because it's a historic venue, isn't it? And it's, it's really Absolutely. held its own in King's Eve.
1: Absolutely. It was the first place we played. There's a blue plaque on the wall outside. Yeah. Uh, that, that uh, marks the fact that it was our first ever, uh, public performance, uh, February 79. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, yeah, it was. Um, it's it's an iconic live venue. It's it's not particularly big. Yeah. Um. It's it's an upstairs room in a pub. You know. Yeah. It's a great pub. It's it's uh, it's run by a great guy. Adam is the. Uh, oh, he's one of the best. He's Adam. He's absolutely one of the best. Um, and he's still, he's still. I mean, you know. My son goes there regularly, you know, we still go there regularly. I actually went and saw Chrissy Hine play there just a, a few months ago um, when she was playing uh, a small venue tour yeah. for the fun of it, you know. One of the places she played was the Hair and the Hands. Amazing. And, uh, yeah, I went I went to to see that. I've seen a, quite a few artists there over the years, and it's it's just a great venue, you know. It's yeah. it's, it's one that's been going as long as we've been going. Yeah. And uh, and still is going, and it's he's, he's probably more established now. As you say, you know, you know the venue. Yeah. You know, it's more established now than it's ever been, yeah. and probably because of Adam. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And yeah, it's 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 a great venue.
0: Right, last track, mate. Um, a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear.
1: Well, again, I I, I couldn't pick one, but for me it's always the latest one we've recorded right it's uh, because we're we're a live band because we're a recording band we don't ever want to become a cabaret act you know we don't only want to play the hits yeah of course we play the hits of course we you got a lot of them
0: mate oh yeah for (laughs) sure
1: and we couldn't play them all we only play some of them you know but we always play the ones that Are expected, yeah, and we resurrect a few every now and again, and we drop a few every now and again, but um, yeah, we always play the ones that, that make it because that's what your audience has come for it's yeah. the songs that they bought, loved, and have grown up with, etc. Yeah. You know, uh, it's a nostalgia trip for those numbers, and of course, you have to do them, but we're a recording artist, you know, so we're always playing whenever we go on the road, we're always playing our latest tune. Yeah. That's the one that I want to play the audience. That's always yeah. the one that I want them to hear is the latest thing we've done because that's the thing I'm most excited about generally yeah. is whatever the latest tune is. And I want um I want their approval.
0: Yeah.
1: Really. I want their I want their stamp of approval. Yeah. And the way you get that is at a live show and with applause. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. And uh, for me, that is always the one I want people to hear is yeah. whatever the latest track is.
0: Well, let's talk about um, what what's going on with with UB40 at the moment. So, what what's twenty twenty three got got lined up? What's going to be happening?
1: Well, we are celebrating our forty fifth year. Twenty twenty three is our forty fifth year as a band. You're having making feel, me feel old now, mate. Having think how I feel. <laughs> yeah. We formed in 1978, Yeah. so we are celebrating our 45th year as a band and we have a new lead singer who's been with us for now a couple of years um, who we're really excited about. We're loving having him. Uh, he's full of enthusiasm and youth and vigour, <laughs> which which is waning from <laughs> from our side, you know. So it's, it's wonderful to have him on board. He's he's constantly full of new ideas. He's bringing new lyrics to us and, you know, all of that. So we're recording an album to celebrate 45 years, and it's believe it or not, it's called UB45. Um I see what you've done there. Yeah. yeah, and we're full of new songs still. So it will consist of uh, new material, obviously, but also we're re-recording some of the old classics oh, goodness. we're so happy with Matt, our new singer, yeah. and the way he sings them um, and the, the life that he's brought back to them, you know, that we just want fans to hear how good he is and how, yeah. how well he fits in. It's not just a new sound. It, it, he also fits in perfectly with yeah. our old sound, you know. Yeah. he. He just does those old songs beautifully. And it's, it's great to hear. So we're recording, um, half a dozen classics and half a dozen new songs too. And, uh, awesome. the album will be out this year and we're touring all over the place. Yeah. Uh, we'll be, we'll be going back to, uh, America this year. Um, Latin America, South America, we've got uh, a tour being lined up for there. Uh, we're going back to Australia and we've got British dates as well. So, uh, wow. and European dates, I think there's some Spanish dates. We just, it's the same old, same old, you know, we're on the road and and, and loving it. Oh, it's amazing.
0: Robin, it's been an absolute joy um, sitting and listening to you you, you you talk about your career to date and uh, I wish you all the best with the new record and, and I will endeavour to to be at one of the UK dates. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Stu. It's
0: been fun. I'm going to press stop. Don't go anywhere. There we go. Robin Campbell, UB 41. What an absolute diamond. That was such a lovely chat. Um, Really fun to, to notice at the beginning of that, before we even press record, uh, sitting in the studio with him, I heard a very familiar voice, and then a very familiar face popped up, and it was um, former guest of this podcast, fellow um, podcaster and music aficionado, uh, Matt Stocks, um, who I think had interviewed Robin, I presume had interviewed Robin um, before me, and uh, yeah, so uh, Life in the Stocks is another amazing music podcast, so go give that a, a spin, um, Yes, right. Okay, so as mentioned at the beginning, um, now you've enjoyed this episode, go check out the back catalogue um, because there's hundreds and hundreds of episodes all to be enjoyed for free. Um, and the best way not to miss anything is to subscribe. Um, you can find out about the Patreon and the social media links and everything else you need to know about this podcast at the One Stop Shop, which is off the beat and not beaten, off the beat and track podcast.com. Link will be in the show notes. Give it a click, go and have a look. And why not become a Patreon? Spare that 70 pence and uh, support the podcast, get involved in the live show and get access to bundles and bundles of other good stuff. In the meantime, be nice to each other and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.